they, they, they cook their burgers well, well done, right? I, I spend money on food. I spend money on things I really love. And, you know, I've spent an obscene amount of money on food and I've spent a lot of money on travel. Those are the things I care about. I could care less what car I drive. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 282. Hope everybody's having a great President's Day out there. Before we get into the details of today's episode, just kind of wanted to take a moment and, you know, we announced early, I guess it was late summer, early fall, that Clark would be stepping away from from the podcast. And so we've kind of arrived at that point, uh, more or less. There's a few interviews that I may release from the archives uh, that he and I did back in the day together in the last couple months. Uh, But for the most part, Clark uh, will kind of make an exit at this point. And with that, over the last several months, I've been talking to various parties and have selected a new co-host or main co-host who we're going to introduce today. We'll get to know him. Uh, in fact, we're going to tell his millionaire story today, uh, interview that I did with him. And then also a little update. We've had several emails and requests uh, from guests and from, from listeners who want to know a little bit more about the host. So I did a little bit of follow-up uh, as well, kind of update on me and, and a little bit of my journey. So that's uh, the episode that we have planned today. It's going to be great. I also wanted to chime in. We will have, uh, I, well, I, I've had a couple that I've recorded that uh, my wife will participate in as well. So get to hear a little bit different voice and a little bit different kind of background and, and questions. So anyway, we've got a lot of great stuff planned for 2023. I know we're just kind of getting into the early, early parts of the year here, but a lot of exciting things, a lot of great guests uh, coming up. And uh, yeah, you're going to hear a new voice here uh, today and uh, for several subsequent ep- episodes with Brad. So really excited about that. In fact, just to give a little background on, on Brad, Brad was a listener and you'll hear that in, in his interview. And, uh, you know, I met with Brad a couple, a couple different occasions, I guess really one occasion out in, in California happened to be traveling out there. And so we aligned schedules, but, uh, he's got a great background. He sold timeshares, he worked at Best Buy, played golf in college. He had about half million dollars in school loans when he was 28, and uh, you know now he's a multimillionaire. He's got a couple hundred thousand dollars in savings, about eight hundred thousand dollars in the market, split between uh, stocks and mutual funds and index funds, and then about a million dollars in real estate between his uh, primary residence and a couple Airbnb. So, great story uh, with Brad and a great interview with him, and then also you'll get to know him, as I mentioned, uh, you know more more and more. Uh, or get to know him better more and more over uh, several episodes. So a little bit of a different background than, than Clark had, uh, but it's, it's going to be a great uh, co-host uh, arrangement with Brad. So that, kind, that takes care of this part. All right, that takes care of this piece. I did, we have had a few people write in too, and I just wanted to give an update. Clark, Clark is uh, still doing well. He and I are, are still best of friends, in fact. 
ironically, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I was vacationing down in Mexico and my wife happened to say something or something. And one thing led to another and Clark started texting me about, you know, vacations and all this kind of stuff. And it seemed a little odd, but I was like, I didn't think much of it. And next thing I know, he's walking up to me on the beach. So we, we got to hang out with each other for a little bit of time in Mexico, unplanned and uh, catch up and stuff. So he's doing well. And maybe every so often we'll we'll get him to to make a guest appearance or something uh, to to pop in and say hi. I know there's several people out there who, who have enjoyed him over the years, and I've definitely enjoyed uh, doing the podcast with him. But yeah, the podcast isn't going anywhere. Keep rocking and rolling. Uh, obviously, if you'd want to be on the podcast, send us an email at millionairesandunveiled at gmail dot com. We're always looking for new great guests. Still looking for that. Uh, multi multi-millionaire for our 300th episode hopefully here coming up in um, not too long actually i mean we've got what 16 18 weeks here before that'll release so would love to uh, get somebody on for that at any rate appreciate you all and uh, without any further delay let's get into the episode with uh, my new co-host brad brad you want to just give everybody a little bit about your background and how this kind of all came about a little bit yeah, thanks, Jace. Uh, super excited to uh, be on the podcast. I'm a longtime fan, and I, you know, came here because I reached out to you and wanted to talk about how much I love loved the show, and it's just kind of blossomed from there. We met in San Diego, and uh, we have a lot in common, and um, you know, I'm happy to talk about my background uh, and how I became millionaire. And um, I'm super excited to meet the, the guests in the future and, and contribute. My background, basically, I'm from the Midwest. My family are all dentists. They're the poorest dentists you'll ever know. Uh, they have no relationship with, with money other than give the money to the financial advisor. You know, for me, business and money have always been a big part of my life. But um, so is debt. When I moved out here to California, where I live now, I, I came here for law school and, you know, I met my wife the first day, which was good. But I also like to say that I, uh, I doubled my debt that day. We ended law school. Neither of us became lawyers. Uh, I went right into business. I knew I made a mistake, but I started my time out here in California after school uh, saddled with a ton of debt. So my net worth was, you know, if we had a podcast for you know, negative 500,000 errors. Um, that's what I was. Hold on, so, hold on here a second. So you, you graduated law school. Did you have undergrad debt as well? I had a little bit, but for the most, I, I played golf in college and, you know, had some scholarship, but yeah, I, I had very little and I had five years in between undergrad and, and grad school. So I had some time to pay off some of that debt. And, and were you just working then? Yeah, I was in sales for five years. So if you want to hear some um, funny timeshare closes, I actually sold timeshare for a year before oh, I learned man. to sell. <laughs> yeah, um, I could tell you guys the wedding clothes. That'd be pretty funny. And uh, yeah, and I worked for Best Buy for a while. Decided I needed to go back to school. So everybody told me law school was a good education. And, uh, you know, being as I'm an alpha, I looked at the U.S. News and World Report and I saw the upper set salary range. And I said, that'll be me. I won't be on the lower salary range. And I thought that's what that's as much research as I did. And then I applied to schools that weren't near me because I wanted to get out of my my small town. And I looked at Pepperdine on a brochure 
and I knew that Malibu was where Baywatch was, so I knew it couldn't be a bad thing. And that's the school <laughs> I got into. So, yep. And, and you were uh, 27, 28 at the time? I was uh, 20, 25 when I started law school. 25. Uh, so did you graduate college early? Yeah, I finished when I was like 21, 22. I guess okay. it was only three, four years. Maybe it was three, four years. I'm, I'm old, so num- time is... Yeah, yeah, you, you know. start losing, you start slipping. I guess. <laughs> right. So you're so you're early twenties. You go to law school at twenty five, three years, graduate twenty eight, roughly. Yeah, I actually added my MBA in there, and then um, I I took night school and stuff. I finished in in just over three years, and while I was in law school, I did about twenty internships and to figure out what I wanted to do, and I found my my space. So I started at this like startup in uh, Santa Monica and. Um, my boss was four years older than me, but I got a job just before the market crashed. And um, all my friends in law school, they graduated and didn't have jobs because the the recession had just hit or the, the market had just crashed. And I had a job playing ping pong and drinking coffee all day with, with younger people than myself and uh, got really lucky. <laughs> Holy so, cow. So yeah. 28, half a million dollars in debt or is it was it more? It was about half a million. Yeah. Half a million. Good night. Mm-hmm. So half Good a million night. to 28, and then you decide that you're basically not going to be a lawyer after you spend all that time and That's money right. to, to go to law school. <laughs> so how, how did yep. you reconcile all that in your head? And what, I mean, what was the thought process of like digging out of that hole? Well, you know, it's interesting. You know, my wife took the bar, but she didn't, she practiced law very little, but she didn't want to be a lawyer either. And everybody said, well, why don't you take the bar and uh, fall back on law school and or on, you know, uh, you know, attorney has a good job. And I had already been in sales and I said, you know, even if the economy is bad, people always need a salesman. And I but I was like, I know I'll be a terrible lawyer. Like, I'll just be a horrible, horrible lawyer because, you know, I'm just it's so boring. You know, I opened the torts book and I was just like. Who, who cares about this stuff, you know? So I, I just decided to, to ride my sales background. And, you know, even my mentor, who is a billionaire, he told me to take the bar. And I just, that was the one thing I disagreed with him. And, and uh, I knew it wasn't in my, in my heart. So, and I, and I was right about that one thing. He was right about everything else in my life. But that one thing I <laughs> I, I knew it would be a disaster if I was a lawyer. So, you know, my first interviews were like, why aren't you becoming a lawyer? And I would just explain to them, you're getting somebody who's really smart. So, you know, being a lawyer isn't, isn't, do you know any happy lawyers? And most of them would go, huh, actually, no, I don't. So I was like, exactly. So I, I want to be happy and I don't see being an attorney, uh, being an attorney, being a, a happy profession for me. I obviously now know a lot of happy lawyers. All my friends are lawyers from law school, but you know they got the joke, and then, then we moved on. Interesting. So, yeah, get done with all that, and then career path from then to now. Where's that taking you? Yeah. So what's, what's interesting is what the debt did for me was it set limitations on what choices I had, which was a good and bad thing, right? I had to pay five grand a month for my debt every month. And so I knew I needed to make a certain amount of money very quickly. Right. And so it drove me to get move up. And, you know, we talked about like getting promotions and moving from company to company and things like that. I did all of that out of necessity. Right. And so 
it really set my focus because I needed to get out of that debt. And literally, I just paid the last student loan payment two days ago. Um, so I just I'm, I'm, I'm in my 40s, just paid it off. But, I, you know, I haven't been paying it aggressively lately because the, the interest rates were low. So I went, you know, from job to job and just moved my salary and, you know, my responsibility and, you know, relied on my sales and business development skills and just, you know, kept knocking it out of the park. And, you know, that's that's how and just attacking the debt as aggressively as possible. Bonus here, bonus there. And so what that also did, though, is it didn't leave a lot of room uh, for for savings. So, you know, later on, we'll talk. I don't have Roth or Roth IRAs, which I wish I did. And now my income is too high to have those unless I do, you know, backdoor Roth or something like that. Um, I as soon as I could, I started saving 401k when it was available, things like that. But, you know, my my net worth didn't start to to really spike until um starting in around 2014 and then it's been kind of a, a steep climb since then yeah so you've never been a lawyer essentially mm-hmm. and what what field for the most part i mean what advertising would that be fair to say yeah has, has been kind of the career path my first startup that i joined was a was an ad, online advertising startup before like right when online advertising was be, beginning and for the most part, my career's been online for sure. I took a brief break into a different field online, but I went back into advertising and my, my companies all sur- surround tech and advertising. And I, I'm my own uh, company owner now. And, you know, this is now my fourth uh, seven figure company. Um, this is my biggest one now, but it's my fourth one at this point. Nice. So is it fair to say, Brad? has gone from employee to law student. I wouldn't even say you're a recovering lawyer because you didn't really finish, <laughs> you know, practicing yeah. law at any given time, right? So a recovering law student to business, or I guess employee and business owner to full-fledged entrepreneur to some degree to fit the definition of starting multiple businesses at this point. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think the transition to, to add some color Around 2013 or so, you know, I was living at home because of a company that I had just started. Basically, they closed the office two weeks after I joined. And the the guy that I was working for was told he had to move to the Midwest. And he knew I couldn't because I had just had a baby. And so that was my first taste of working from home. And that company was a disaster but for me. But in terms of just, it was not fun, but it was the right place in the right time because I, you know, I got to spend time with my daughter. But while I was there, I was looking for someone to kind of float me because I had bigger ideas. And this guy approached me and he said, I'll be your money guy. I'm in a different area of online. So we won't, we'll have a nice Chinese wall. You go build this business over here and I'll give you unlimited profit share or whatever. And so I said, deal. And I said, I need health insurance and a base pay, right? Because I've got wife and kids. And so that's when I started that, that company grew to, you know, a a pretty large company, um, but I had no equity. And when the company got really large and his company started to shrink, he moved over to the other side of the wall. It became very difficult. It was very toxic situation. 
And, but while I was, uh, so that company, I like to say is my company because it was, but it wasn't on paper. And, um, at the peak of that company, um, I left and I had no plan B, you know, my life, my life, uh, my, my spending had gone up in a, you know, my, my wealth had gone up my, well, my, not my wealth, but my, my income had gone way up, you know, I lost a ton of weight in like 30 days. I did no exercise. So I knew I was stressed. I knew it was the right decision. But then I, I was like, I'm going to go out on my own. That period, that was January 2017. And I just started consulting to pay the bills. And it was a crazy couple years. And bless my wife. Like she's, she, she's, her dad's an entrepreneur. She's used to, used to the entrepreneur life. Um, but it got real stressful for a while, but she believed in me and, you know, it, it turned around and I came up with my like quote million dollar idea in that hardship and, uh, learned a ton. Right. And I, at that time I started two companies, one, both did really well, but one was super taxing and the other one was scalable. And so I, in 2019, I started to wind the other business down, even though it was making a lot of money because I didn't like the um, what I call the tech debt of that company, really focus on my current company. And uh, that was the best decision I could have made. So uh, that's when my wealth really started to turn around was in 2018. Nice. What do you think, I guess, top end income that you were making as W2 before you left to go out on your own? Yeah, I was making in the 300s. Okay. So pretty healthy income. Mm-hmm. Paying the payments on the on the law debt still, right? Yep. Yeah. All of it going to that and a and a house, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. When did you hit millionaire status before you left? Um I made no. Uh I hit millionaire status in 2019. Wow. I crossed the threshold in 2019. Most of that money, however, was uh, real estate equity. Um, my debt was going down and my, my, my equity and my properties was going up. And so that's when that crossed over. I was at zero at in 20, between 2014 and 2015. Like I hit the zero net worth that year. So I was out of school for six and a half years when I got back to zero. Wow. Good for you. So, I mean, it's quite a journey, right? Just even though you're going to co-host with me and we're going to do this together, but as as a millionaire and kind of going through this interview with you, so our audience can kind of get to know you a little bit better. It's a pretty remarkable story going from, you know, undergrad, Midwest, packing it all in and the sales, working on on all sorts of uh, different sales items, you know, Best Buy to to uh, timeshares, to yeah. then law school, to working as an employee, making 300 grand, which in, in most cases, a lot of people would say that's a, a very high income, paying all your debt down that, you know, I guess you probably expected to make that about about that as a lawyer, I would imagine. And so you're making good income enough to like, you know, shovels big enough that you can pay the debt and then boom, walk away. I'm not a millionaire yet, but I'm going to go start this business. And I still have payments on this debt, by the way. I mean, I went back to zero. Yeah. Like, like I, I was spending everything I had just to keep the lights on. Um, but I think, I think what's important is 
the things I've been battling in my, and this is why this podcast is so useful because I listen to so many millionaires and the reason you're the only person I've ever reached out to at a podcast was, you know, it's good to hear other people like where they went, you know, especially the people that didn't just have an upward trajectory. Right. And, you know, for me, I'm battling two things. One, right. Like I'm, I'm battling like the, the mentality, like you just go get it. My parents are professionals. Your parents are professionals, right? Like, like you just go to school and that will take care of everything. Right. But that's, that's not necessarily the case. You need to know what to do with your money and you need to make a certain amount of money. And then the second thing that I've really realized is I'm battling like scripts, like the, the poor mentality, the shove the money under the mattress mentality. And I really wound back to, you know, my, my mom who manages the money for my parent, my dad, like she has a great depression mentality. And that came from being growing up without money. And that came from her mom growing up in the great depression. Like I remember going to my grandma's house and just drawers being full of Tupperware lids and like never throwing anything away. Right. And that's the way that she managed her money. We still don't know how much money my mom has, um, we, and I don't think it's enough, right? And and so I had to break that uh, and and really rewire the way my brain works because that's what I default to when it comes to money, which is just give money over to someone and let them manage it. And now that I do the the research, I I know that that's not not a good way to become wealthy, right? And then you know the second thing is just understanding what makes like uh, doubling down on your strengths and having trust in like my, my, I come from an, uh, I think one of your guests, well, actually one of the best episodes was, uh, I forget his name, but he, he, uh, did a lot with like dead instruments and he talked about the cash flow quadrant. There's two books that really changed my, my mentality and set my business. And that, and the first one was four hour work week. And I read that every single year. And that's how I designed my business. So in 2017, I said, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to, my company's going to be remote. My time is not going to be connected to my money. And, and that was, that was number one. I did, at the time I was consulting, so it was, it was hard, but I used a lot of the rules in that book to, to pick clients. And then the second thing, and it just came to me recently is, is this cash flow quadrant book that was recommended from your podcast. I think it really added the second piece, which is now I have some money. What, what, what do I go from in the quadrant? There's ESBI. That's the quadrant. And right now I'm squarely in the S and the B, but I'm not squarely in the I. And I really want to move to the I because that's where where wealth is made. And um, I've learned a lot of that from this podcast. So that's my mission for the next 10 years is to be become an I and not be so much an S and a B, a small business owner versus just you know, business operator, right? Yeah, it's pretty. It's a pretty remarkable journey, and you know, it's 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 great to hear, especially in 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 this kind of sense that the trajectory that you've gone. So, fast forward today, spending most of your time as a business owner, what what uh, what's the net worth? I mean, it's in the it's in the two range. I mean, it depends on if you want to put down the business. I don't actually put my business in my net worth calculation, but without the business, it's in the, it's in the two range, two area. And I have, you know, that's mostly comprised of, of, uh, real estate. 
uh, let's see, most of my wealth right now, let's see, about three out or, uh, man, I guess it's more like 60, 40 in the, in the real estate. So the, the investments have grown slowly, uh, and, and there's, they're starting to pick up. Obviously it's, it's shrunk quite a bit this year, but yeah, most of it's real estate. And is that real estate that you own as a rental property or is that primary residence or a combination? So I have, uh, so my primary home is some of it, but most of it is in actually two, uh, Airbnb investment properties that I have one that I acquired last year and another one I acquired, uh, the year before. So Airbnb is a big, big portion of it. And then my, my primary home is say half of that number. Okay. In, in the Airbnb properties, did you buy those in cash or a large down payment? Yeah, I, I use I use debt. I'm I'm back in debt. So, you know, but uh, most of them I had, or both of them I had very good data on what I thought the returns could be, and I felt safe using debt. And luckily, it was at the time when um, interest rates were still low, um, so it's still pretty pretty low rate, and that you know, and then they 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 rent out pretty 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 well, even with the it's tightened up. Um, but they're still they're still doing well. They're still cash flowing. And are those near your house? Do you self manage them? Um, you know that's a great question. Um, one of the things I put into my investment opus, as as you will, is I kind of gave a multiplier to anything that was investable that I thought w- would also bring in life enjoyment. So I actually invest in collectibles. I invest in watches. And I invest, the Airbnbs are places I, I can go. So one is, one is here in California. It's a resort area. And the other one's um, in the Midwest where I'm from. And um, I can go enjoy it with my family. And so I may not get the highest return out of it per se, but I'm also getting a life return out of it. So I get kind of a double benefit out of it. Yeah, that's awesome. And no money in the market? No, I do have about 40% in the market between my 401ks. Um, I use what's called a cash balance plan, um, which is a really useful tool for anybody who's self-employed because um, it allows you to put away more pre-tax than the, than a 401k. And then, um, you know, uh, about 200,000 savings. Okay. And the, the money that's in the market, is that in mutual funds or index funds or how's that broken up? It's a mixture of individual stocks. Um, I've got some Vanguard in there, and then I've got my wife's 401k, which is, you know, if she leaves her company, we'll roll it over into a Vanguard immediately. Yeah. So I have probably half in stocks and half in index funds and mutual funds. All right, cool. I want to touch on something you brought up earlier, and that was just how you grew up and the mindset and the, and the shift that you have to go through today versus maybe what you normally did and what you normally default to. How do you do that? How do you transition from what you've been doing for, I don't know, 30 plus years of your life to, hey, I'm going to have this mindset shift around money? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I feel like it in this category, personal finance, there is a lot of bad, bad information. You know, as a person who played golf at a very high level and trained, taught people for years, 98, and you're a golfer, 98.9, 99% of golf information is terrible 
information. And it's the same with, with personal finance. I still don't think I know everything or anywhere close to it, right? And there is a ton of bias in the information. So one of the things that law school gave me was the ability to read and consume a ton of information and go whittle it down and, and think both sides, right? And so I think that it did create a superpower. It wasn't all debt, right? And, you know, as, as we've discussed offline, I've been reading almost a book a day in this category. And there is bad information in every single book and being able to check all those books, but reading it voraciously, number one. And then number two, learning to separate my time from my income is essential. Making money while I sleep, right? That is number one. And, you know, people who are consultants or employees, God bless them, that is not me. I, you know, my rule early on, I learned this very, the hard way was if a company has an HR department, it's already too big for me, right? I know where I fit. I am a rough person. I am not a person who can manage a thousand people. I don't want to do that, right? So I limited where the, the areas where I could go. And then I said, okay, where can I scale in that pocket? And that has been really important. And then I think the second thing is just understanding what I'm weak at and then not accepting that. So when it comes to my background, I'm currently advising my sister who took over the practice. She's doing the same things my parents had did. And I don't want her to end up the way that they did. Right. And so teaching other people helps me get better at what I'm doing right, or, or, or what I'm saying. And I think that's also why I reached out to you is just, you know, every day you guys hear from somebody who has a completely different perspective and that's so valuable. So the last piece is surrounding myself with people who don't think the way that I think. And that is really important and they've all had success. So I'm in groups with other millionaires or other people who are running businesses and companies and they're from all over the world and they think completely differently than me. In my group, I have people who've come from nothing. I've had people who've come from jail who are super millionaire, like wealthier than I'll ever be. I have people that I, I surround myself with that, you know, sell, they're in retail and I, farmers and things like that. And I find that essential. So that's why I sought out your podcast and loved it because uh, the everybody on your podcast comes from different backgrounds. I think that's super important. You don't want yes men around you. You want to you wanna be around people who can call you on your baloney, right? And and a ask you critical questions. And that's super important. Man, that's awesome. So one of the, one of the things that we discussed a little bit that, that might be unique, especially for you, other than, I mean, the background is, is phenomenal, but you're not the typical millionaire that maybe we've had on the podcast that's, hey, I, I'm a super saver or, hey, I done this or did that. Quite frankly, you would consider yourself more of a spender and, and kind of a free spirit that way. Is that correct? I wouldn't say a free spirit. You know, I, I still have my Midwest background, right? Like I have a real tough time buying myself nice jeans, right? Like, we've had a lot of, you've had a lot of guests who talk about that, but I've spent enough time 
I, maybe your family's not the same, but like my family won't, they, they, they cook their burgers well, well done, right? I, I spend money on food. I spend money on things I really love and, you know, I've spent an obscene amount of money on food and I've spent a lot of money on travel. Those are the things I care about. I could care less what car I drive. I've, I've bought nice, nice homes, things like that. Cause I, I spend a lot of time in my home, but you know, I, I definitely wouldn't call myself. I'm, I'm uh, what do you call it? I'm frugal where, when I don't care, but when I, when I do buy things, you know, that I care about, I go all in like the collectibles thing, the watches, those types of things. I, I really enjoy them. So even if I only break even on them, I, I spend on watches or I spend on food. And, and why is it watches and food? Like what are those <laughs> specific things that have kind of triggered it for you? Yeah, well, I'll just give you an example. I mean, last summer I went on the trip of a lifetime for me, right? And I, you know, it was supposed to be Japan before COVID and um, we, we didn't end up going because of COVID. So we had more money saved up and we went to a Michelin star restaurant in Europe and it was unbelievable. You know, it was every penny's worth and it was an obscene amount of money for that dinner, but I'll never, ever forget it. So to me, it was worth every penny, right? In terms of the watch, I wear the watch every day. Like I have a, a relationship with my watch. Like every day I wind it, you know, I talk to other collectors and by the way, it has a huge amount of data um, behind it. And, you know, I think watches in when done right can be a, a good investment. So to me, it's like a double win. It's just like buying the property I bought in my first Airbnb property. You know, I get to use it. And I have I went and looked for data, a data advantage. And I found a data advantage and I became very secure in the investment. So um, I, I'm using it, but I enjoy it. Today's episode is sponsored by Fine Law. Fine Law is the internet's top destination for free legal information for consumers and small businesses. Their nationwide attorney directory makes it easy to find the right attorney near you for your situation. Fine Law's legal forms and services allow you to create an estate plan affordably and from the comfort of your home. It is also the home of Don't Judge Me podcast, the show about the law in real life. Fine Law's Don't Judge Me has a lot of opinions, jokes, insightful guests, and in-depth discussions about hot topics in the law. What they do not have is a lot of pretension or corporate oversight. The hosts are lawyers and writers at finelaw.com, the primary online destination for all things legal. They hope you have as much fun listening as we have making it. Listen now on Apple Podcasts. To get free legal resources anywhere you are, head to findlaw.com. That's F-I-N-D-L-A-W.com. And once again, thank you for find, to Find Law for sponsoring today's episode. You bring up a good point on, on being able to use some of these things. So maybe, yeah, you have a cash outlay of whatever that is, whatever the price is of a watch. But as you mentioned, it's, it's something that drives benefit from an emotional standpoint and, and really to some degree, a financial standpoint for you every day. And, and there's not many things I think that we 100%. invest in more or less that really give us a return like that every day. Yeah. And, and I'll give you an example, and this might be hard, harder for 
the men on this podcast uh, that listen and the women. But like, you know, my wife has had to, she's shown me that, you know, you can invest in a bag and the bag will appreciate. That is to me, I'm like walking around and like, please don't buy this bag. But it, the bag is the equivalent for, for many women as the watches. And she, that's her, her, it's going up in value. There's no question about it. What, you know, a couple of the pieces she's bought and she enjoys it every single day. So it's like a, you know, my version of a sports car, I guess. Right. Except it appreciates. <laughs> Interesting. So Brad, as, as you transition here to kind of get into that I quadrant as an investor, what, what, what's the outlook for you? Where are you headed? Are there any big goals, trips, things that, that you're really looking forward to as you kind of move into that next phase of, of life and career? Yeah, we're, we're definitely going back. We're going to go on another, you know, baller trip this summer, probably to Europe or something like that. After we did it last year, we're not waiting again to do it again. That's for sure. And then investment wise, you know, I, I've listened to a lot of people on this podcast too. It's like, I think I need to reserve some cash, you know, cash meaning just like liquid money for the right investment Buy buy another property, you know, more into the stock market while it's low and so on. So I I think it's going to be pretty simple for, for now. It's just going to be more of the same, you know, but with, with the recession coming up, you know, that could, could tighten everything up. So like we're at the point now where we have enough cash to float us for a while. And so I'm not planning on having the same year I had this year, next year, you know, but, uh, I think, I think it's just more of the same, you know, I think, and, and getting better at the philosophy and sharpening the knife, right. Hanging out with and talking to people like yourself and just getting more knowledgeable. Uh, that's, that's, that's my main mission right now. Getting a, getting a data or knowledge advantage, uh, I think will be, will be huge. Good stuff. Let's uh, move into some, some rapid fire questions. What's the uh, most expensive meal out that you paid for? It was probably just for my family. It was probably $1,500. Oh, dang. Mm -hmm. What kind of restaurant was that at? It was that Michelin. It was a Michelin, we Michelin star. Okay. And it, it was, and it was worth every penny. Wow, that's awesome! Would everybody yeah. in your family say that too? Oh yeah, it's, it's like it, it was, it's a highlight. I'll, I'll just I'll give you the like we had the craziest meal like as like Michelin star should be, and the place was like okay we don't you know you want to have the cheese course. Uh, it's gonna sound so pretentious, but I was like yes we're gonna to do everything, and like it's over in this other building across the street. And so what they were doing was like moving us out so they could move the next group in. And the, the next place was a restaurant dedicated just to the chef's mother. And it was her pictures everywhere. And this table, like think like a miniature Harry Potter Hogwarts table of just cheese and chocolate and all the like best things you could ever eat. And it, it was like two more hours of just eating dessert and cheese. It was crazy. And it was all the other people who had just experienced the meal and they were all kind of like floating on cloud nine. And then it was just like candle. It was just crazy. It was like never been in anything like it. And you know, that's what you paid the extra money for. It was a, it was a, just an insane experience. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. What's the most expensive car you've purchased? Uh, uh, I bought 
a used Audi Q7. So, you know, it was, it was, uh, I don't know, 30, 30 grand or something like that. Okay. I probably should ask you, what's the most expensive watch? <laughs> I have a, I have a, probably a $20,000 Rolex. Okay. But being as I'm from a Midwest, the Midwest, I didn't buy it for 20. You know, I, <laughs> I, I got to get a discount. Nice. So, nice. Yeah. If you were to be a professor in college, what course would you teach? Personal finance. Okay. What vacation or experience? Oh, and let, wait, before you say this, Chase, yeah. the reason that would be the course is because I don't think that course exists. <laughs> and I think, I, you know, in America, I don't think there is a personal finance course. And I think everyone is undereducated in this area. For sure. So, for sure. Yeah. What has been the most expensive experience or trip that you've paid for? Um, that trip last summer was multiple 10,000s. <laughs> it was a very expensive trip. Got, got more expensive while you were on it and you didn't realize how much until you got it home? Did. It did. <laughs> my, my investments by my wife were made. <laughs> hey, man, I know I know how that goes sometimes. You plan this trip and it's like... I guess in now, nowadays with the way we do kind of some of our online booking and stuff, you're able to to really pay for a lot of the trip or at least some of the trip, you know, months and months and months in advance. But then yeah. the week of or the two weeks of or whatever, you, you always are kind of uh, realizing you're spending probably a little more than maybe you thought you were going to, <laughs> given that you well, thought you prepaid for a lot. Yeah. Well, I kind of pre-saved for this trip, you know, like doubly because it was supposed to happen in 2020 and then 2021 and we didn't go. So, you know, it was three X trip and we decided to go all out. But to your point, when I landed in Europe, that's when my, that's when my intentions on the trip ended and my spouses began. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So it's fine. She had a great trip and we're we're still okay. So good, good. Uh, she teaches me to spend my money every day. Good. We're gonna have to uh, we're gonna have to have her on sometime too. And, and she get she the... she's got a great story. She does. If she ever opened up, I mean, my my wife is an immigrant, and you talk about a come from nothing story. Um, she she's really lived lived it. So that's awesome. Well, Brad, to wrap up here, what would be your last pieces of, of advice as we kind of move, you know, into this new transition with you as co-host and, and you know, things that you've maybe learned on the podcast or learned in your personal life that, you know, at this point, podcasts got 275 episodes and, and, you know, millions of downloads. What would you tell the, tell the listenership? So number one, and, uh, I, you know, I think it's kind of a half advice and half thank you. It's a thank you to everyone else who opened up about their information because that actually has made a, a difference in my strategy and my investments. So this podcast has made a difference. Keep keep adding information and, uh, you know, don't stop learning. That's, that's super important. And then the second one, you know, my – if you look at my – numbers it's not i haven't gone up because of the stock market you know it like the stock market i i haven't invested well that way but even if you're at zero and you're asking your mom for some money or you're at the last check if you believe in what you're doing just keep keep doing it as long but but have people around you to to tell you no and to tell you yes um you know if i 
if I, if I listened to my mom, I wouldn't have become a timeshare salesman and I wouldn't have learned how to sell. All of those things have added and given me superpowers to, you know, where I am now. But if you talk to the Brad in 2018, who was just in a mountain of debt and started a company and whether I made a good decision, it was a very hard yes, hard to say yes at that point, right? It was a grind. And, you know, thank, thank, thankfully I'm where I am right now, but it could have gone both ways. And so I've heard other people on this show had similar, you know, quick rise scenarios and that, and I think they would probably all tell you like coming from nothing or putting yourself in a nothing situation, you can make bad decisions. And, but you know, all of my bad decisions are from bad information, right? Going to law school is a good education. You know, that sort of thing. Like that's an incomplete thought. So just keep adding information and, and you're going to get, you're going to have an outsized advantage. So that's why I think data, data and information advantage is so important. And, and I think that's the key. Awesome. Well, everybody, this is Brad, new co-host. Thanks for coming on the podcast and uh, sharing your new millionaire story. And uh, look forward to many, many episodes together here uh, in 2023. Thank you for inviting me, Jace. It's, it's an honor. We're going to shift gears here just a little bit. I've had a lot of interest and in, in actually emails that have come in wanting to know a little bit more about the host. And so I thought I'd take this moment to, you know, beginning of 2023 to dive in a little bit. Two years ago, I basically went on my own show to some degree and Clark interviewed me and, and my wife. That was episode number 161. And, and, uh, it was very in depth. I think it did almost an hour and a half interview on kind of my journey, uh, you know, to millionaire status and everything that I've done along the way and portfolio allocation, all that fun stuff. So not going to go into all the details like I did then, but uh, thought we'd take this opportunity now that Brad is is joining me to give a little update and kind of let the tables turn a little bit and let Brad interview me. So uh, Brad, I'll let you take it away at this point. All right, Jace. I'm not, I'm not, not nervous to interview you, but uh, <laughs> so episode 161 was approximately two years ago. You know, what does your portfolio look like today? Like the allocation, you know, has anything changed? You know, what's different? Yeah, it's a good question. And I was, as we get into the year in here, these are things that I, I dive a little bit more deep into. I still do my net worth every month. I essentially kind of try to run my life and finances much like I, I would in you know, my businesses where I've got financial reporting monthly. And some people maybe think it might be a little overkill, but. At any rate, I do it. It doesn't take me very long. I've got I've got the templates built, and so it, it goes pretty quickly. So if I go back and I look at 2020 when I did that interview, the allocation that I had at the time, I was a little more heavy in business, uh, upwards of 36% at that time, had about 30% in retirement accounts, and then 20% in real estate uh, that was basically investment real estate and about 6% of my primary and 7% in cash. And of the money that I had invested in the market at the time, 57% of that was in a Roth, 25% rounded down uh, was in a traditional, and then 17% was in HSA. Fast forward to 2022, 
And ironically, those percentages between my money that's invested in tax advantage accounts has not really changed. I'm 57% in Roth, 27 or 26% in traditional and 17% in HSA. The one major shift from an allocation standpoint overall is my, is my net worth has substantially grown and got more business equity now than I did then. Depending on how you value businesses right now, it's it's a kind of a, a crapshoot to some degree. But what I've what I've kind of pieced together is I'm, I'm probably down about twenty six percent in in business. I've got eleven twelve percent in retirement. I've got a little bit extra that I've been putting away in essentially a taxable brokerage account. So that's just a, around two percent. And then I've got. 28% in real estate. And part of that is I've, I've added some some properties over the last couple of years. I did sell one earlier this year in March. And so I guess 2022, March 2022, I did sell one that uh, was used personally, but then it was also used in Airbnb. And so, um, and then got about 10% now with some of the equity run up, even with rates dropping uh, for primary residents. But that leaves me with a significant amount of cash compared to where I normally have been. That's that's a little over 22%. And that's been like that for a while. I had a liquidity event last year and selling some a good chunk of, of one of my businesses that I was a, a, um, a shareholder in. And I haven't really done much with that uh, since then, other than putting a little bit in, in the market. And, you know, we enjoyed a little bit of it, went on some vacations and stuff, but really just been parking that because one, I didn't have any other great place to put it. And two, after having a 13 year bull market, I started getting kind of getting a little nervous, um, you know, which I guess you never should be a nervous investor, but I just didn't really see great opportunities. I still had a lot of other business stuff going on and I've recycled some of that cash. And, and uh, so, yeah, I've got a lot of cash to sit on the sidelines that, I, you know, at some point I want to do something with that, I normally don't have that kind of cash sitting on the sidelines. So, on the on the district or on the investment side, uh, you mentioned your you know your allocations hasn't haven't changed that much. Are you contributing more to the traditional uh, than you had in the past because like you're phasing out on the Roth limitations, or are you able to continue to? contribute to that Roth? Yeah. So that's great. That's a, that's a great question. And the Roth, I, I still just do a backdoor Roth and I've, I, I, every year I do the debate and, and then I still fund it, um, mm. in terms of just not doing it anymore and just letting it kind of ride out the traditional money that I've got set aside. I've actually never, ever contributed to a traditional 401k or IRA. All of that has been essentially match money mm. that's come from companies and so that right now is still housed so that I'm able to do the backdoor Roth in essentially an old 401k plan at this point. I've kind of moved all that over because you get kind of can get dicey uh, doing a, a backdoor Roth if you've got traditional IRA money out there as well. So do you recommend really, backdoor Roth when you're in a high like a high income year? It's uh, the only way you can contribute to a Roth really. But, you know, personally – I've always thought about the Roth because I've had that account forever that, you know, I want to keep growing that as, as much as possible because, you know, that money's, the money's been taxed. So as long as it keeps growing and, and grows at a significant rate, the, the money's tax-free forever. 
<laughs> so, I mean, you look at, the, I think Peter Thiel and Mitt Romney are probably the two two famous ones that got, you know, several several million dollars, upwards of a hundred or a couple hundred or more in a Roth. And while I don't think I'll ever get there with my Roth, but I, I would, would love to continue to grow that. I have not personally self-directed any of it yet, which is how they basically have, have been able to grow theirs that quickly. But uh, it's something that I've considered and, and may do now that that balance is getting to a, a level that I'm comfortable with, but potentially taking some out and not out, but just self-directing it and, and move it into some of my private business investments or something. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I've been thinking about that on my end as well and uh, just didn't know how to do it. So that's why I, I come on the podcast to learn from you. <laughs> on the real estate side, you said you uh, let go of one property and you, you have a couple other properties. Do you think, do you see yourself hold like a lot of, holding into cash for the right opportunities or, or is it really all about the recession and fear and that sort of thing? A little bit of both. I think I'm, you know, as real estate's ran up, it's been hard to find deals over the last, you know, couple of years. I, I bought sure. some, I bought a couple of different pieces of land. One, you know, I live in Austin and, and my wife and I are discussing if we wanted to move to a certain area or this area or whatever, it was like, well, we better, we better lock up some land if we want to do that down the road and you know, whether or not that's going to be a great investment, I don't know, but it was more of an emotional decision to, to go ahead and do that with, you know, future plans to build a home or possibly move. Uh, you know, and then I bought a, bought a house or that's turned into a rental, uh, in another state, which is a long story, but that one's cash flowing real nicely right now. And so, and I've got it at a really good rate because it closed on that before rates really started getting, getting crazy. And then got a couple other rentals. So I, I think I'll keep my, my real estate portfolio the way it is. I don't really think that I'll be adding much to it uh, at this point. I really, you know, I'm getting to a stage of life, I guess now, where some things, you know, there's been a little bit of shift. And I talked about it a little bit with my wife, I guess, on, on our previous episode. But where I started to realize that I can only have certain experiences at certain ages. And so I want to make sure that I capitalize on that. And, and one of those is not putting off buying, you know, or building the dream house or putting together what we may want for our family until I'm, you know, 50 or something when my kids are like grown or nearly out of the house. So those have been some conversations she and, she and I have had more lately to see when the right time to, to kind of strike that. We've got, you know, my oldest is going to be five here soon. And, you know, there's, I got three kids, so we're, we're fine where we are now, but there's, there's definitely, you know, I got, got my rower in my office. I got my treadmill in my bedroom and I got a bike, Peloton bike in our living room. And, and then my <laughs> rogue set up in my garage and my wife and I, you know, it's kind of a little bit ridiculous, but it's kind of like, you know, this is what we, what we bought about this house three years ago and we only had one kid and here we are now. So you know, those, those are kinds of things and conversations and, and making sure that we capitalize on, on experiences that, you know, we're only going to have at certain ages. Well, all that ex- exercise equipment will definitely uh, keep you around longer, though. I think it will. I, a, it I think will. I have a cake in every room, unlike you. So that, <laughs> uh, that's, that's pretty impressive. Uh, my kids are, are 11 and 10, and I can tell you that the decisions get harder as they get older because they make friends, they have school all that sort of thing. So I think you, I think that's uh, really forward thinking of you guys to be thinking about that at that at that young of an age, for sure. 
Yeah, I, I, the one thing I will say that I guess is change is just the the planning for the kids. You know, we set up ESAs, which obviously have income limits, but there's some some unique ways that you can contribute to those through corporations and whatnot that that I've done to fund those. Recently, we just had the 529 changes, so that's something now that I'm I'm contemplating more than I did before. Just the investment options of those just weren't great. I didn't really love them. Transfer options weren't great, so it was hard for me to really get on board with those, but. You know, getting that kind of planning started for all my kids is is something that, uh, you know, over the last two, three years since the first recording that we've gotten a little more intentional on and and plan to continue to do so to, to plan for them in their future. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm way behind on the ESA 529 decision. I'm, I'm in the process of setting that up. I haven't come to a conclusion. I don't think there's a perfect option. So um, I, I would love to to learn more about what you're doing there because it is not, it is not, there's no ideal option in, in either vehicle. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's great. I mean, it sounds like you're, you know, steady the course. That's, that's a, that's a fine strategy. There's sometimes when it's ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. Yeah. No. And the strategy hasn't changed at all. I mean, I'm still, I'm still pretty committed to having a third in the, you know, real estate realm and a third in the, you know, small business, essentially private business, you know, equity ownership, and then a third in, in, uh, essentially tax advantaged or, you know, the market. So I kind of like my three legged stool, obviously that cash chunk is always going to fluctuate and same with home equity or whatever, but, uh, you know, I like it and it's, it's, it's proven to be comfortable for me and my wife at this point. And so I think we'll continue and, there may be a point where, you know, the private business stuff gets a little bit more, um, you know, significant as a portion of the portfolio, but I enjoy that. It's, it's fun for me. You know, over the last couple of years, it's gotten even more fun for me as I'm sure it has for you. So those are, those are things that I, I see taking shape, you know, over the next couple of years and changing a little bit. Right on. Well, it's, uh, an honor to interview you, uh, and be on the, on the, the podcasts. Uh, thank you so much for the opportunity. Look forward to interviewing the our future millionaires. Uh, I'm going to bring a bunch to you the the table myself. Look forward to a long uh, relationship with you. I'm super excited. Yeah, me too. It's going to be a it's going to be a great journey. We got a lot of good stuff in in store for uh, 2023. I'm super 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 pumped. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.